0: You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Today we're wrapping up a series entitled Stuck, and I hope that this series of messages has been a blessing uh, to you. I've had several good conversations over the last few weeks about people who this has really spoken to right where they're at. I feel like this is what God uh, has has had uh, for us during this time. And so I hope that it's been of benefit uh, to you. Uh, I mentioned earlier that we value God's word here. And so it's what we try to give uh, children every week in toddler church and children's church. It's also true during our Sunday school classes. Uh, one of the most wonderful things that, that God blessed me with, is that when I was growing up as a child, I was a part of a family that went to church every Sunday. Uh, and not only went to church, we went to Sunday school. And so my first training in Scripture was from a 65-year-old woman or so, never asked her exact age, so I'm guessing, named Mrs. Ritter. Mrs. Ritter taught our little primary Sunday school class. And even today, uh, when I think back on a message, like a message about Daniel... I can picture Mrs. Ritter putting little flannel graph figures up on the board and telling me the stories of God's Word. Now, I didn't understand them fully at that point, but I I learned them, and I came to appreciate them, and they made a huge difference in my life. I hope that when you look in your bulletin and you see all those names of graduates, you see something worth celebrating, that you see that we are blessed to have so many children, especially in that young age group that are a part of our church, uh, but I hope that you also feel responsibility. I hope that mom and dad, that you feel this, this desire, this need to teach your children about God's Word. I hope that church, we take it seriously, our responsibility uh, to train children in God's Word. I attended three graduations this past week, Uh, Haven graduated from kindergarten on Thursday night, then I traveled down uh, to right outside of Nashville and watched Eric, our intern, uh, graduate from Welch College, and then uh, Saturday morning I watched uh, Amy, uh, Amy's daughter Sarah, graduate from Boonville High School, and so I got to see uh, three graduations, kindergarten, college, and high school. Uh, Haven's kindergarten graduation was small, the Welch College graduation was was pretty large, and then Boonville High School graduation was incredibly large. Three different venues, three different locations, three different levels of schooling. But one thing I felt in all three ceremonies, there is an incredible amount of potential in this room. There's an incredible amount of potential here. And when we look at young people who are learning, who are getting ready to embark on a new chapter in their lives, we see, man, there's so much ahead of them. And perhaps some of us in this room, we can think back to when we graduated and we say, man, I I didn't really know a whole lot and there was going to be so much more that I needed to learn, but I had my whole life ahead of me. In our passage today, we see a king, He, he thought the exact same thing. When he saw young people, he saw an incredible amount of potential. So King Nebuchadnezzar, when he comes to Jerusalem and conquers Jerusalem, He says, these young men that are here in Jerusalem, their best and their brightest, their smartest young men, let's let's take them back with us. Let's train them in our ways. Let's teach them our language and our culture, and they'll help us in this next phase of growth and expansion for our kingdom. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was like every king. He wanted to expand the influence and range of his kingdom, and he knew that these young men in Jerusalem, that they could help him do that. He viewed them like a natural resource, like someone in conquering a kingdom might take their grain and their coal. He took their young men, and he planned to shape them and mold them into the image that he wanted for them. But what we see is that some of these young men They lived differently, even from the beginning. They were plucked out of their homeland from among their families, taken to this foreign land. You would say that they were definitely stuck where God allowed them to be taken. But even in this situation, they lived for the Lord, and God pulled them through what was a difficult, difficult set of circumstances. So if you would, look with me at Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to read... Uh, Several verses here of Daniel chapter 1 as we get an idea of what exactly it is that Daniel and his friends are facing. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. He he conquers Jerusalem and Judah so much to the degree that he takes the furniture and the vessels, the cups, the plates out of their temple and puts them in his temple. That that's how that's how utter their conquering was. They went they they took whatever they wanted, even the furniture from their church. That's what they took. All right? Imagine if our church was robbed. Right? And we came in and they not only took our expensive pieces of equipment like our camera and computers, but they took the pulpit. Right? So what, what would they need the pulpit for? They came in and they took the, the very furniture, the vessels of the temple. And the king spake unto Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the prince. He says, let's take the royal family. Let's take their best, their brightest, their most powerful children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. These are people with leadership ability. Whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, So nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave the names, for he gave Daniel the name of Belteshazzar and Hananiah of Shadrach, and unto Mishael, Meshach, and unto Azariah, Abednego. They bring these young men here, and they change their very names. They're taken from their homeland, taken from their families, taken away from their girlfriends or whoever they were engaged to. They're brought to this new land. They're going to learn the culture of the Chaldeans. And they say, and by the way, you're no longer known by your Jewish name. You're going to be known by the name we give you. The name your parents gave you is no longer your name. They were looking to change their very identity, their mindset, and even their beliefs. He says, we're going to train them to think like us, talk like us, give them names like us. We're going to incorporate them into our kingdom. And then, after all of that, which is pretty heavy, he says, oh, and we'll feed them what the king eats, and they will drink what the, the king drinks. And you would think that reading that, that if they're going to have a problem, it's probably going to be with, no, you're not changing my name. All right? You're not going to call me whatever it is that you want to call me. That's that's not my name. Or no, I'm not going to learn your teaching. I'm not going to speak your language. But what Daniel decides to stand against is not those. Look at verse 8 with me. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defile himself. There's a really important lesson here that I want us to get a hold of before we continue. You might think, what's the big deal? Why why is he making a big deal about the food and the drink? They've changed his name. They've taken him away from his family. Does he really have any power to do anything to begin with and yet he's going to balk at the meat? Was Daniel a vegan or something? Was he on a new fad diet? Did he have a food allergy? Why is he making this, this big to-do about the food? Daniel's issue was that when they would eat this food, the king's food, that it would be offered before the Babylonian or Chaldean gods. And it wasn't just that they were offered before them. When they came in to eat, the entire meal would be this religious ceremony where partaking in this food was an act of worship to God. Now, we can identify with this. We're Baptists, right? We understand that food is a part of our religious experience, right? Occasionally we have a meal here, right, after church, and the food is incredible. And it's a a part of the whole celebration and fellowship time. They were having this food that the king ate. By the way, this was an incredible offer. We we live in a culture today where most of us, we eat like kings every day. We're going to, after church, we're going to say, what do you want to eat not what do we have to eat. But Daniel would have lived in a time where most people would say, what is there to eat? But he's being offered what the king eats, the king's meat, the king's steak, the king's wine, the best in the most powerful nation in the world. And he turns it down because he says, this is offered to a God that I do not worship. This honors a God that I do not believe in. You see, Daniel recognized that this was something that he had to take a stand on. And he wasn't going to allow his circumstances or the situation that he was in to determine what he would do. His character was determined by his faith, not his circumstances. Remember, we learned that a few weeks ago when we talked about Joseph. Joseph's faith shaped the man that he was, not the circumstances he was in. We are not shaped by the circumstances we're in. We are shaped by our faith, what we believe. And because Daniel believed in God, that shaped his character, informed the decisions that he would make. And because he had made a commitment to God, he had said, There are some things that I just won't do. You see, when we say yes to God, we're going to have to say no to the world. When we say yes to him, there are some things we're going to have to say no to. And when we say this big yes, this big commitment to God, that we're going to live for him, there are going to be all of these little no's. And at first, they feel like big no's to us. They feel like to, to walk away from, from those activities, to walk away from participating in those things, it feels huge to us. But when we say the big yes to God, they start to seem what they really are, that they're little no's. That when we, we pass on those things, we don't miss out on anything. You see, Daniel's commitment to God came first. He had given God a big yes in his life. And that meant that he was going to say no. Even little no's. Now You can hear people around Daniel saying, what's the big deal? Right? You can hear them say, hey, it's, it's just some meat and some, some drink. We, we ate meat and we... We enjoyed this stuff back in Israel. What's the big deal? Listen, it's just a change in zip code. That's all that it is. That's all that it is, Daniel. It's, it's, it's a gray area, Daniel. Daniel said no. And now, this is important for this reason. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 sets the theme for the entire book. And in this book... Daniel would be set up by some guys who didn't like him. And they put together this law that sounds great to the king. Hey, king, let's make it a law that nobody can pray to anyone other than you for 30 days. I think we probably all know some politicians who would have passed a law like that, right? They think of themselves as God. So Nebuchadnezzar passes this law. And the reason these guys do is because they know that every day Daniel prays three times to his God. So Daniel... When the law is enacted, he continues to pray as he always has. And he's thrown in a lion's den. That was the the, the form of execution that came along with that law. God keeps him safe through the night while he's in this pit with these lions. Now, that's the incredible thing that happens later in the book. But earlier in the book, Daniel says, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to give up my faith. I'm not going to change my commitment to God because of the situation that I'm in. And that purpose would carry through. You see, if we'll say a big yes to God first, all of the other no's that we have to say later on, they're little no's. But if we start saying little yeses to the world first, we'll find ourselves in a position where we have to say no to God. Daniel knew that he had to stand on this. Have you heard that, that statement, if you won't stand for something, you'll fall for anything? And this may have seemed like to a lot of people, not really something worth making a fuss about. But Daniel knew he had to draw the line somewhere. You see, when we, when we live our lives saying, well, this isn't really a big deal. This isn't, this isn't really a thing to make a big fuss about. This isn't a place to draw the line in the sand, what we end up doing is never drawing the line in the sand. We never set a standard for our behavior. We never set a standard for how we're going to act. We never set a standard for what we're going to do. And we just say yes, 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 until we have backed ourselves into a corner. And once we've backed ourselves into a corner, we're not able to say yes to the Lord. When we say yes to this world, we end up saying no to God. Especially, and what are you talking about? Let me give you a real world example. Pew Research Center recently did a study on people who attend church regularly. This is, not, this is people who attend church regularly. And they found that people who attend church regularly are attending less regularly than ever before. Now, it's not that the world in general is going to church less. People who go to church are going to church less. And so they started asking these people questions, and it's not that they no longer believe in God. It's not that they no longer believe in Scripture. It's not that they have some major disagreement with their church. They're attending less regularly because there are all these other things that they're now involved in. It's not that they're saying no to God. It's that they're saying yes to so many other things. Things that aren't evil, like baseball and travel leagues. And trips, I mean, you remember when you were a kid, your parents got one week of vacation that they took, right? You were gone for three days and they talked about for the rest of the year. We spent all that money on that three day vacation, right? Now people take trips a weekend a month. There's nothing wrong with travel. There's nothing wrong with getting away. There's nothing wrong with going and spending time with your family. But when we say yes to all of these things, we end up finding ourselves in a position where we have to say no to something. And I don't think any of these people would say, listen, let's just not go to church two Sundays a month this year. That wasn't their intention. That wasn't their plan. But because they said yes to all of these other things, they end up having to say no to something. Are you with me? Do you get what I'm saying? Let me give you another example, and this one might hurt. Some of you, you don't give to support the work of the church and mission work around the world. And it's not because you think that the church is unworthy of support. It's not because you think that we get electricity and water for free. It's not that you think that we can do the ministry like Vacation Bible School that's coming up in three weeks for free. You know that it is costly and you know that it's worthy. And so you wouldn't say, no, I'm not giving. But you find yourself in a position where it's difficult for you to give because you've said yes to so many other things. You've overextended yourself. You want to say yes, but you can't. What happens in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 is Daniel says, I've said yes to God first. So I'm going to say no to this. And when we say no to the world, we're keeping that room in our lives to say yes to God. Right. There are things that we do not participate in, not because in and of themselves they're wrong, but because we need to live, leave margin in our lives so we can say yes to God. That's what Daniel was doing. Even in the difficult situation that he found himself in, where he had been kidnapped, forced to learn a new language, put in a completely different culture, and given a different name, he still found ways that he could say no to the world so that he could continue to say yes to God. And if Daniel could do that in the situation that he's in, I think that you and I can do that in this modern world. So what does Daniel do? Remember, he's there not because he chose to be there, but because the king forced him to be there. What, what happens? Does Daniel go get a sword and start attacking people? Anyone who tries to offer him steak, he slashes them? Anytime someone tries to hand him food, he says, No, I'm a vegan. No, thank you. I don't eat meat. No. What, verse 8 tells us what he did first. He goes to the prince of the eunuchs. And requested that he not defile himself. You know what Daniel has here? He has grace and kindness and gentleness. And look what verse 9 says. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love by the guy that was in charge of him. Daniel was liked. Do you know that likability goes a long way in this world? He was liked by this guy. Now, verse 10 tells us, the prince of New York said, Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and drink, for why should he see your faces worse, liking the children which are of your sort? Then you shall make me endanger my head to the king. He says, Daniel, I like you, but you're putting me in a really... Awkward position here. If I don't give you this food, if I don't give you these steaks, if I don't give you this wine and you come before the king and you are scrawny and weak, I'm going to be in trouble. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Daniel, it's not my rule. It's it's the corporate rule. It's the king's rule. It's not my rule. I'm I'm just enforcing it. I'm just the messenger here, Daniel. I want to help you. I like you. And Daniel says, well, let me give you a little bit of a proposition here. He says, give us the opportunity for 10 days to not eat the king's meat and drink the king's wine. And instead, we'll have pulse. Basically, he says, we're going to eat vegetables and beans. And at the end of 10 days, see who is looking better. And the passage goes on to tell us that when they finally saw Daniel and his friends, that they were fairer and fatter than those that were around him. Now, in our culture today, that's not what we want, right? We want to look fair and thinner. But back then, if you were plump, if you were fat, you looked like you were well-to-do. You looked like, hey, man, that guy's got money. It wasn't based on the car that you drove. It was how plump you were, all right? I just need to go back in time a couple generations, and I will look like a killer guy. I'm just unappreciated in my time with this body is what it is. Daniel was stuck. But because he was likable, he had this opportunity to do the right thing. And the reason that Daniel was likable was because he was godly. Verse 9 says, God had brought him into favor with this prince of the eunuchs. We see this again and again in the life of Joseph. Joseph is brought into favor with his master. Ruth, the same thing. She's brought into favor before Boaz. This is something that God does for us, but it's also something that God does in us. The fact that Daniel is gracious and gentle makes him likable. Scripture teaches us that the characteristics that will be present in us when we live for the Lord and His Holy Spirit is in us, they're likable characteristics. Nobody's ever said, you know, I just don't like that guy. He's too nice and gentle and patient and loving. But when we, we follow God, that's what he brings out in our lives. You see, most of the time when we say, hey, listen, I've got to take a stand for my rights here, we don't do it in a gracious way. Listen, I'm not doing that, and you can't make me. That's not what Daniel says. Daniel says, listen, I know that you're in a tight spot and you're just doing what you're told but this is something that I can't do, so maybe we can work something out here. He was gracious. he did the right thing. Daniel was stuck in a new nation, stuck speaking a new tongue, stuck in a job that he didn't pick, stuck going to a school that he didn't choose. Yet Daniel saw, even then, while he was stuck, how he could choose to do the right thing. And Daniel not only stayed committed to doing right, he did right in a gracious way. He did right in a gentle and commendable way. Now Think about the situation that Daniel's in. They've taken him from his family, put him into a job and said, this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life, and this is your new name. And yet he is still likable. I have a hard time staying likable if someone removes the stapler from my desk. Right? We have a hard time staying likable if someone messes up our order at a restaurant. They have turned Daniel's entire life upside down. And yet he was able to do what was right with a kind and gentle spirit. How does this, this happen? How does this happen? Let's look back at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Daniel purposed in his heart. And that word purposed, it literally means he set his heart on not defiling himself. Daniel set his heart on the fact that he was going to do right. And Daniel realized that no matter what was happening in the world, no matter what was happening to him and his friends, no matter what was happening in Judah, no matter what was happening in Babylon, no one had control of what would happen in his heart other than him. He may not have had control of anything else, but he had control of his attitude and his spirit. And even when you have no control over the situation you're in, you get to choose the setting of your heart. Even when everyone else is acting chaotic and angry, you get to choose how you will act. You get to choose how you will react. And I want you to think on that. Let that soak in for a moment because we don't really believe that. We believe that because so and so did this, I had to react. Because so-and-so said that, I had to say what I said. Don't get mad at me. They started it. We've been saying that since we were kids. Been using that excuse. He started it. It's his fault. They got my order wrong. They moved my stapler. Daniel's life has been turned upside down. And they have changed everything about him but they cannot change his heart. Ever since I learned of his life years ago, I have been amazed by a man na- named Viktor Frankl. Frankl was uh, a psychiatrist in the 1940s. He, he Even as a young man, he was doing very important, incredible work. He was working with women who were considering suicide, helping them. But in 1942, when he was a young man and he had a young bride who was pregnant, because of his nationality and ethnicity, the Nazis came and forced his wife to have an abortion. A few months later, they then moved Victor and his wife and his aging parents to one of the ghettos in Prague. After several months there, his father died of exhaustion. Not long after his father's death, he and his wife and his mother were transported to Auschwitz, the extermination camp. In the first weeks, his mother was killed in a gas chamber. Not long after that, his wife was transported to another camp where she was killed at the age of 24. The only reason that Viktor Frankl lived through this, just because he was still alive when Allied forces came through the camp where he was. But while he was in that concentration camp, he saw something. He saw that there were other prisoners in just as horrible circumstances as he was in who still found joy in helping their fellow prisoners who, looking at other prisoners who were worse off than they were, would give them a portion of their small meal. They were starving to death themselves, but they would give a portion of it away to someone else who was in worse condition than they were. And he recognized that in a scenario where you have absolutely no control over your circumstances, your situation, where they have told you what you will wear and what your hair will look like. They've told you that they are going to kill your family and friends. They've told you when you will sleep and when you will work, that even in a situation where they have ultimate control like that, that they cannot tell you how to feel and where your heart will be. He noticed that in the dire circumstances of the concentration camp, someone could choose to console others and have peace. And in his book that he wrote after he was freed, he said this, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one attitude, one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. He would also say, Man is that being who invented the gas chambers of Auschwitz. However, man is also that being who walked into those gas chambers upright, saying the Lord's Prayer. He saw that at the same time that there were men committing these evil atrocities, there were also those who had this deep faith in the face of those circumstances. We are Faith Free Will Baptist Church. And we are Free Will Baptist because we believe that man is given a free will. We don't believe that our free will in any way limits the scope of God's power. We believe that the only reason we have free will is because God has given it to us. But we believe that God has given us this free will so that we can choose Him. That no matter whatever circumstances work against us, no matter whatever situation we find ourselves in, we can still choose. And we believe that the worst of our situation, the worst of our circumstances, our own brokenness and sin, that Christ went to the cross to take the punishment for sin, to offer the solution to our brokenness. So no matter what situation we're in, And no matter how broken we are, we still have the opportunity to choose him. Christ chose the cross so that we would have the freedom to choose him. And no matter what circumstance you're in today, no matter how broken your life is today, no matter how full of sin your heart is, you can choose Christ today. Daniel found himself in the worst of circumstances and he still chose to do the right thing. I don't know what circumstances you're in today. I don't know what has you feeling like you're stuck. But no matter what you're stuck in, there is nothing that can keep you from choosing Christ. You can choose him today. Let's bow our heads for.